Shema Yisrael Adonai Eloheinu Adonai Echad Baruch Shem Kehud Malkuto Le'olam Va'ed Hear, O Israel, the Lord is our God, the Lord is one. Blessed be the name of the glory of His kingdom forever and ever. Amen. Good morning, Mishpacha. Welcome to the Daily Audio Torah. I'm Laura Densmore, your host, and I'm so glad you're joining in with me today. Today is Tuesday, May 23rd. Today is day 46 of the Omer count. We are quickly counting down to the Feast of Weeks or Shavuot. This year, Shavuot, also known as Pentecost, falls on Sunday, May 28th. What is the meaning and significance of Shavuot or Pentecost? Shavuot is considered the conclusion of the celebration of Passover, especially since the two festivals are connected by the counting of the Omer, like a daisy chain connecting them together. Passover isn't really over until we get to Shavuot. Shavuot is a 50-day count, as it is written in Deuteronomy 23:15 and 16. And you shall count for yourselves from the day after the Sabbath, from the day that you brought the sheaf for the wave offering. It shall be seven full weeks. Until the other day, after the seventh Sabbath, you shall count 50 days. The Israelites traveled 46 days from their Egyptian Passover exodus to the desert of Sinai. Then they were instructed by Moses in Exodus 19, verses 10 and 11. And Yahweh said to Moses, Go to the people and sanctify them today and tomorrow, that they may wash their robes and be ready for the third day. For on the third day, Yahweh will come down before all the people to Mount Sinai. We include these three days together with the 46 days, coming to 49 days. On the 50th day was the first Shavuot feast, also called Matan Torah, the giving of the Torah, which is the covenant agreement. Yahweh handed over the covenant conditions, or also the constitution of his kingdom, to his people on Shavuot, but he also established his kingdom with them. As it is written in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9, But you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for a possession, that you should proclaim the benefits of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Shavuot means not only that Yahweh wanted to dwell with his people, but even in them, as it is written in Exodus 25, verse 8. And they shall make me a sanctuary that I may dwell in their midst. Think about it. It was on Shavuot that God gave the Ten Commandments on two stone tablets to the children of Israel. Sadly, they could not receive them or keep them because their hearts were made of stone. They broke their marriage covenant with God through the golden calf incident and broke God's heart. But then... God makes a new covenant with the children of Israel, as it is written in Jeremiah 31, 31 31-33. Behold, the days come, says the Lord, 
that I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah, not according to the covenant that I made with their fathers in the day that I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt, which my covenant they broke, although I was a husband to them, says the Lord. But this shall be the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel. After those days, says the Lord, I will put my law, my Torah, in their inward parts and write it on their hearts, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. How did the Lord fulfill this prophecy and promise? After Yeshua resurrected, he poured out his Holy Spirit to the early believers as they waited upon him in the upper room. When did the promised outpouring of the Holy Spirit come? Not just on any random day, but on Shavuot, or Pentecost, 50 days after Yeshua kept his last Passover with his disciples. As we get ready for Shavuot, Let's ask the Holy Spirit to move the scriptures from the pages of our Bibles and put them inside of us, writing His words upon our hearts. And let's ask Him for a fresh new outpouring of the Holy Spirit. Now let's continue our journey through the entire Bible in one year. This week we are reading from the Israel Bible for the Hebrew Scriptures and from the King James for the Brit Hadashah. Today we continue the Torah portion Shavuot, and it means Feast of Weeks. Numbers 28, 26-31 On the first, on the day of the first fruits, your festival of Shavuot, when you bring an offering of new grain to Hashem, you shall observe a sacred occasion. You shall not work at your occupations. You shall present a burnt offering of pleasing odor to Hashem, two bulls of the herd, one ram, seven yearling lambs. The meal offering with them shall be of choice flour with oil mixed in, three-tenths of a measure for a bull, two-tenths for a ram, and one-tenth for each of the seven lambs. And there shall be one goat for expiation in your behalf. You shall present them, see that they are without blemish, with their libations, in addition to the regular burnt offering and its meal offering. 2 Samuel 4, 1-623 When Ishbosheth, son of Saul, heard that Abner had died in Hebron, he lost heart, and all Israel was alarmed. The son of Saul had two company commanders, one named Bana and the other named Rechab, sons of Rimmon the Berothite, Benjamites, since Beroth too was considered part of Benjamin. The Berothites had fled to Gitaim, where they have sojourned to this day. Jonathan, son of Saul, had a son whose feet were crippled. He was five years old when the news about Saul and Jonathan came from Israel, and his nurse picked him up and fled. But as she was fleeing in haste, he fell and was lamed. His name was Mephibosheth. Rechab and Bana, the sons of Rimmon, the Berothite, started out and they reached the home of Ishbosheth at the heat of the day when he was taking his midday rest. So they went inside the house as though fetching wheat and struck him in the belly. 
Rechab and his brother Bana slipped by and entered the house while he was asleep on his bed in his bedchamber, and they stabbed him to death. They cut off his head and took his head and made their way all night through the Arabah. They brought the head of Ishbosheth to David in Hebron. Here, they said to the king, is the head of your enemy, Ishbosheth, son of Saul, who sought your life. This day Hashem has avenged my lord the king upon Saul and his offspring. But David answered Rechab and his brother Bena, the sons of Rimmon, the Berothite, and said to them, As Hashem lives, who has rescued me from every trouble, the man who told me in Ziglag that Saul was dead thought he was bringing good news. But instead of rewarding him for the news, I seized and killed him. How much more, then, when wicked men have killed a blameless man in bed in his own house? I will certainly avenge his blood on you, and I will rid the earth of you. David gave orders to the young men who killed them. They cut off their hands and feet and hung them by the pool in Hebron. And they took the head of Ishbosheth and buried it in the grave of Abner at Hebron. All the tribes of Israel came to David at Hebron and said, We are your own flesh and blood. Long before now, when Saul was king over us, it was you who led Israel in war. And Hashem said to you, You shall shepherd my people Israel. You shall be ruler of Israel. All the elders of Israel came to the king at Hebron, and King David made a pact with them in Hebron before Hashem. And they anointed David king over Israel. David was thirty years old when he became king, and he reigned forty years. In Hebron he reigned over Yehudah seven years and six months, and in Jerusalem he reigned over all Israel and Yehudah thirty-three years. The king and his men set out for Jerusalem against the Jebusites, who inhabited the region. David was told, You will never get in here. Even the blind and the lame will turn you back. They meant, David will never enter here. But David captured the stronghold of Zion. It is now the city of David. On that occasion, David said, Those who attack the Jebusites shall reach the water channel and strike down the lame and the blind, who are hateful to David. That is why they say no one who is blind or lame may enter the house. David occupied the stronghold and renamed it the city of David. David also fortified the surrounding area from the millow inward. David kept growing stronger, for Hashem, the God of hosts, was with him. King Hiram of Tyre sent envoys to David with cedar logs, carpenters, and stonemasons, and they built a palace for David. Thus David knew that Hashem had established him as king over Israel, and had exalted his kingship for the sake of his people Israel. After he left Hebron, David took more concubines and wives in Jerusalem, and more sons and daughters were born to David. These are the names of the children born to him in Jerusalem, Shemua, Shobab, Natan, and Solomon, Ibhar, Elishua, Nepheg, and Japhia, Elishama, Eliada, and Eliphelet. When the Philistines heard that David had been anointed king over Israel, the Philistines marched up in search of David, but David heard of it 
and went down to the fastness. The Philistines came and spread out over the valley of Rephaim. David inquired of Hashem, Shall I go up against the Philistines? Will you deliver them into my hands? And Hashem answered David, Go up, and I will deliver the Philistines into your hands. Thereupon David marched to Baal Perizim, and David defeated them there. And he said, Hashem has broken through my enemies before me, as waters break through a dam. That is why that place was named Baal Perizim. The Philistines abandoned their idols there, and David and his men carried them off. Once again the Philistines marched up and spread out over the valley of Rephaim. David inquired of Hashem, and he answered, Do not go up, but circle around behind them and confront them at the Baca trees. And when you hear the sound of marching in the tops of the Baca trees, then go into action, for Hashem will be going in front of you to attack the Philistine forces. David did as Hashem had commanded him, and he routed the Philistines from Geba all the way to Gezer. David again assembled all the picked men of Israel, 30,000 strong. Then David and all the troops that were with him set out from Balaam of Yehuda to bring up from there the Ark of Hashem, to which the name was attached, the name Lord of Hosts enthroned on the cherubim. They loaded the Ark of Hashem onto a new cart and conveyed it from the house of Abinadab, which was on the hill, and Abinadab's sons Uzzah and Ohio guided the new cart. They conveyed it from Abinadab's house on the hill, Uzzah walking, alongside the Ark of Hashem, and Ohio walking in front of the Ark. Meanwhile David and all the house of Israel danced before Hashem to the sound of all kinds of cypress wood instruments, with lyres, harps, timbrels, sistrums, and cymbals. But when they came to the threshing floor of Nacon, Uzzah reached out for the Ark of Hashem and grasped it, for the oxen had stumbled. Hashem was incensed with Uzzah, and Hashem struck him down on the spot for his indiscretion, and he died there beside the Ark of Hashem. David was distressed because Hashem had inflicted a breach upon Uzzah, and that place was named Peretz Uzzah, as it is still called. David was afraid of Hashem that day, and he said, How can I let the Ark of Hashem come to me? So David would not bring the Ark of Hashem to his place in the city of David. Instead, David diverted it to the house of Obed-Edom, the Gittite. The Ark of Hashem remained in the house of Obed-Edom, the Gittite, three months, and Hashem blessed Obed-Edom and his whole household. It was reported to King David, Hashem has blessed Obed-Edom's house and all that belongs to him because of the Ark of Hashem. Thereupon David went and brought up the Ark of Hashem from the house of Obed-Edom to the city of David amid rejoicing. When the bearers of the Ark of Hashem had moved forward six paces, he sacrificed an ox and a fatling. David whirled with all his might before Hashem. David was girt with a linen ephod. Thus David and all the house of Israel brought up the ark of Hashem with shouts and with blasts of the shofar. As the ark of Hashem entered the city of David, 
Michelle, daughter of Saul, looked out of the window and saw King David leaping and whirling before Hashem, and she despised him for it. They brought in the ark of Hashem and set it up in its place inside the tent, which David had pitched for it, and David sacrificed burnt offerings and offerings of well-being before Hashem. When David finished sacrificing the burnt offerings and the offerings of well-being, he blessed the people in the name of the Lord of hosts, Yahweh Saviot, and he distributed among all the people, the entire multitude of Israel, men and women alike, to each a loaf of bread, a cake made in a pan, and a raisin cake. Then all the people left for their homes. David went home to greet his household, and Michelle, daughter of Saul, came out to meet David and said, Didn't the king of Israel do himself honor today, exposing himself today in the sight of the slave girls of his subjects, as one of the riffraff might expose himself? David answered Michelle, It was before Hashem who chose me instead of your father and all his family and appointed me ruler over Hashem's people, Israel. I will dance before Hashem and dishonor myself even more and be low in my own esteem. But among the slave girls that you speak of, I will be honored. So to her dying day, Michelle, daughter of Saul, had no children. John 13, 31-14 Therefore, when he, Judas, was gone out, Yeshua said, Now is the Son of Man glorified, and God is glorified in him. If God be glorified in him, God shall also glorify him in himself, and shall straightway glorify him. Little children, yet a little while I am with you. You shall seek me, and as I said to the Jews, Where I go, you cannot come. So now I say to you, A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another as I have loved you, that you also love one another. By this shall all men know that you are my disciples, if you have love one to another. Simon Peter said to him, Lord, Where do you go? Yeshua answered him, Where I go, you cannot follow me now, but you shall follow me afterwards. Peter said to him, Lord, why cannot I follow you now? I will lay down my life for your sake. Yeshua answered him, Will you lay down your life for my sake? Truly, truly, I say unto you, The cock shall not crow till you have denied me three times. Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am, there you may be also. And where I go, you know, and the way you know. And Thomas said to him, Lord, we know not where you go, and how can we know the way? Yeshua said to him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but by me. If you had known me, you should also know my Father, and from henceforth you know him and have seen him. 
Philip said to him, Lord, show us the Father, and it suffices us. Yeshua said to him, Have I not? Have I been so long time with you, yet you have not known me, Philip? He that has seen me has seen the Father. And how do you say then, Show us the Father? Do you believe not that I am in the Father, and the Father in me? The words that I speak to you I speak not of myself, but the Father that dwells in me, he does the work. Believe me that I am in the Father, and the Father in me, or else believe me for the very work's sake. Verily, verily, I say unto you, He that believes on me, the works that I do, shall he do also, and greater works than these shall he do because I go unto my Father. And whatsoever you shall ask in my name, that will I do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you shall ask anything in my name, I will do it. Psalm 119, 17-32 Deal bountifully with your servant, that I may live and keep your word. Open my eyes, that I may behold wondrous things out of your law, your Torah. I am a stranger in the earth. Hide not your commandments from me. My soul breaks for the longing that it has unto your judgments at all times. You have rebuked the proud that are cursed, which do err from your commandments. Remove from me reproach and contempt, for I have kept your testimonies. Princes also did sit and speak against me, but your servant did meditate in your statutes. Your testimonies also are my delight and my counselors. My soul cleaves unto the dust. Quicken thou me according to your word. I have declared my ways, and you heard me. Teach me your statutes. Make me to understand the way of your precepts so shall I talk of your wondrous works. My soul melts for heaviness. Strengthen me according to your word. Remove from me the way of lying and grant me your law graciously. I have chosen the way of truth. Your judgments have I laid before me. I have stuck unto your testimonies. O Lord, put me not to shame. I will run the way of your commandments when you shall enlarge my heart. Proverbs 15, 31 and 32 The ear that hears the reproof of life abides among the wise. He that refuses instruction despises his own soul. He that hears reproof gets understanding. I want to speak to you today from our reading from 2 Samuel chapters 4 through 6, and then we're going to jump into John chapter 13 and 14. And in 2 Samuel chapter 4, we see um, that Ishbosheth, the son of Saul, has been murdered while he laid in his bed. And two of David's men come to him to report that this is what they did. While he was laying in his bed, they killed him because Ishbosheth was fighting and coming against King David. And so David's reaction to them 
is interesting. In 2 Samuel chapter 4, verse 11, it is written, How much more than when wicked men have killed a blameless man in bed in his own house? I will certainly avenge his blood on you, and I will rid the earth of you. The Israel Bible commentary to this verse reads as follows. King David helps establish an important principle of military ethics. One may not wantonly kill, even to advance a just cause, while one must kill in self-defense. The murder of innocence is a crime. This truth is taken to heart by the IDF, whose soldiers often risk their lives to avoid unintentionally killing civilians. Often dangerous house-to-house combat is chosen over safer aerial bombings in order to minimize the number of civilian casualties. The enemies of Israel are aware of this and have been known to take advantage of their kindness and morality of the idea by positioning their weapons and fighters near schools, homes, and hospitals. But this has not deterred the Israeli army from being the world's most moral military force. Continuing on, We see that King David is the king, and but he's based in Hebron, and a time is coming when he's going to move up to Jerusalem and rule from there, particularly from the city of David. That's what it's known as now. And by the way, if and when you go to Israel to visit, um, a friend of mine, Anarina, has said, if you haven't visited the city of David, you haven't actually visited Jerusalem. Because the city of David is often missed on the tourist routes, but it's um, just just near. It's very close to the old city, and there are some tunnels that run underneath from the city of David right down to um, to the old city. In fact, uh, one tunnel takes you right to the pool of Siloam, where the man that was paralyzed was healed by Yeshua. Anyway, visit the city of David when you go to Israel. Don't miss it. Okay, so in chapter, that same chapter, chapter 4, verse 3, all the elders of Israel came to the king at Hebron, and King David made a pact with them in Hebron before Hashem, and they anointed David king over Israel. So then the king and his men set out for Jerusalem, and the Jebusites who were there, they said, you'll never get in here. Even the blind and the lame will turn you back. But, verse 7, David captured the stronghold of Zion. It is now the city of David. So the Israel Bible commentary to this verse reads as follows. Once the entire nation of Israel unites behind King David, He is able to conquer the holy city of Jerusalem from the pagan Jebusites and to rule there. Once the entire nation of Israel unites behind King David, he is able to conquer the holy city of Jerusalem from the pagan Jebusites and to rule there for 33 years. His palace is located in the city of David, just outside the present walls of the old city of Jerusalem. 
After 15 years of archaeological excavations at this site, a Canaanite fortress dating back to the 18th century BC was uncovered. This impressive structure is the largest fortress to have been discovered in Israel from before the time of King Herod. It protects the Gihon Spring, where Solomon anointed is anointed. See Second Kings chapter one verse thirty-eight, making it possible to access the spring only from within the city of Jerusalem. As this verse describes, when King David enters the city, he conquers the stronghold of Zion from the Jebusites, quite possibly referring to this very fortress discovered thousands of years later. Visitors to modern-day Jerusalem can visit this site and be inspired by seeing first-hand evidence of the truth of the Bible. So now we have the Ark of the Covenant, and the Ark of the Covenant has been in a person's home, but David wants now to bring it to the city of David. And what happened before was that they were carrying the Ark improperly on a cart, and God's instructions were to carry it on two poles, and the poles resting on the shoulders of the priests, the Kohanim, who carry it, and that they were not to touch the Ark, for it was very holy. So Uzzah and Ohio carried the ark, they put it on a, on a cart, and then when the oxen stumbles, Uzzah puts his hand out to stabilize the ark, and immediately the Lord strikes him dead. That may seem harsh, but yet there's a lesson to be learned, that we're to do things God's way and not man's way. We're to follow his instructions. And the fear of the Lord came upon David. And when I say the fear of the Lord, it's not like you're scared of him so much as if I sin and I do my own thing and I turn my back on the Lord, I'm afraid of the consequence of what's going to come upon me. Not just only in this life, because often when we sin, there are consequences that we experience, but also in the eternity when you end up going to hell and you are forever separated from the Father. So there's a healthy fear in that way, but also the fear of the Lord is a reverence for him, just a, a reverence that we don't take him casually. He is the king of kings. He's the king of the universe. He's the king of the Jews, the king of Israel, the king of the nations, the king of the universe. So news gets to David in verse 12, chapter 6, verse 12. And it was reported to King David, Hashem has blessed Obed-Edom's house and all that belongs to him because of the Ark of Hashem. Thereupon David went and brought up the Ark of Hashem from the house of Obed-Edom to the city of David amid rejoicing. Now you better believe that David has done his research since the incident with Uzzah and found out what's the proper way to carry the Ark. And I'm sure that he had the proper way to carry the ark done this second time. And of course, while this is happening, David is whirling with all of his might before Hashem. He was girt with only a linen ephod. And so he is just 
dancing and rejoicing before the Lord with all of his heart in total abandon. There's no fear of man. And he doesn't care if he looks like a fool. He was leaping and whirling before Hashem. So the Israel Bible commentary to that verse, verse 12, Hashem has blessed Obed-Edom's house and all that belongs to him. The commentary to that verse reads as follows. King David is ready to bring the Holy Ark to the city of David, also known as Zion and Jerusalem. He does this with great joy, participating personally in the festive dancing. Bringing the Holy Ark to Jerusalem transforms the city, making it the spiritual in addition to political capital of the nation. Once the Beit HaMikdash is built, that is the temple, the people will bring their sacrifices to Jerusalem and be inspired by the divine presence that rests there. Jerusalem then becomes the eternal focal point of the Jewish people and all who seek closeness with the Almighty. Okay, so now I want to turn to John. And in John chapter 13, verses 34 and 35, I want to read that and unpack that. A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another as I have loved you, that you also love one another. By this shall all men know that you are my disciples, if you have love one to another. Those are the words of Christ. So now, they say in the Old Testament, in the Tanakh, there are 613 commandments. And especially in the Hebrew roots messianic world, there's a big emphasis on keeping those commandments. Keeping the feast, keeping the Shabbat, um, eating clean food, etc. But sometimes what has a tendency to happen is there's a slow drifting away from the words of Christ, the words of Yeshua and from the New Testament in general. And Yeshua has given a simple commandment. Only one. He's only adding one commandment to all the 613. He's saying, I want you to love one another as I have loved you. And honestly, this is an issue uh, in the Hebrew roots messianic world, and sometimes in in the mainstream Christian world as well where we can major in the minors and we can be very intellectual and want to unpack words in the Hebrew and look at the ancient Hebrew picture language and look at the gematria and look at the calendars and the moons and how to say the name correctly and and all of that and even point our finger at those Sunday Christians who do Sunday instead of Shabbat and an and arrogance can come in, a, a spirit of condemnation, a, a religious spirit, a Pharisee spirit can, can creep in. And there's a lack of love. And I've been in many different congregations over the years. I started in a Baptist church and got saved there. I went on to an Assembly of God church and was there for many years. I've been in a four-square church for many years, spirit-filled. Um, then I went to a Calvary chapel for some time. Then I've been in many different Messianic Hebrew roots uh, congregations and fellowships because I've moved a lot. 
And I have to say, uh, I have been in some Messianic congregations where there was absolutely no love at all. And you would never hear the name Yeshua. It was always Yahweh, Yahweh, Yahweh. And they almost never read in the New Testament. It was always all in the Old Testament, the Tanakh. And there was no love. There was no interaction or friendship or kindness. And and that's a disgrace. This is something that we need to work on. I, I've also visited, um, been involved with a Christian organization and the people serving and volunteering in that organization were from many different uh, backgrounds, many different denominations from many different nations. And again, there was a real lack of love for one another. They were focused on doing the work, getting the work done. But there was coldness towards their fellow workers. And this should not be. We are to love each other, especially now in the end of days, which I believe we are approaching very quickly. And in the end of days, we're warned in 2 Timothy chapter 3 that we will have perilous times because men will be lovers of self, lovers of pleasure, lovers of money, treacherous, betrayers, unthankful, ungodly. Um, And it says, from such people, turn away. And so the best way we can shine the light of Yeshua to a lost and dying and dark world is to love each other with all of our heart, to love each other extravagantly, extraordinarily, just with extreme love. And not just in words, but in deeds, in our actions, in our behavior. And so when others are unloving to us, unkind to us, we are to forgive them for that we, they know not what they do. And when we get hurt, even by family members or people in the faith, in within the community of faith, because of something extremely unloving that is done to us, we're to forgive them for they know not what they do. And then we are to not allow that flame of love that burns within us to be extinguished or put out. We're still to continue to love, especially within the family of God. So let us keep that in the forefront of our minds at all times. What is that one new commandment that Yeshua gave us? He says, love one another as I have loved you that you also love one another. So he loves us so much. He is so kind and so gentle and so loving and so gracious and so merciful. And we are to be that way towards one another, especially to those in the family of God. Have a blessed day and we'll see you tomorrow. Shalom. Yevrekka Adonai Vish Mrekka Yaya Adonai
Blessing from Numbers chapter 6, 24 to 26. Adonai bless you and keep you. Adonai make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. Adonai lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. <laughs>